Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to the amazing Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Lisa, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thanks for having me. You, oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. I actually got so much information from you when we were having our chat before we recorded this podcast because I get I like to get together with people because I like finding out about people and it's a really good excuse to find out about people. <laughs> but you've done so many different things and I really like what you're doing now. So you're a health coach and a non-profit consultant. You're a published author. You're a blogger, a podcaster. You've got four kids, spread it, or a family oh, of two kids. Two kids. Spread it's a family of four, but only two kids. <laughs> yeah, family of four, but you're all spread around the world. And you work with people, mainly women, who are generally either in the caring professions, like nurses and that kind of thing, or work in nonprofit because you want to support them. And I just found that really wow, it's so specific, but it's also so needed. My yeah. thought was, why, why aren't people doing more of this? So Yeah, well, thank you. Me. Thank you for saying that, because it's a very weird, very niche kind of market. And at the same time, when you look at what's going on out in the world during the pandemic, it's like, wow, every single person on the front lines is somebody who really could qualify to be one of the people I work with. I remember a friend of mine saying she'd her daughter had died a few years before that. And she said the first thing she learned when she was getting counselling for it, because she was supported the whole way through with the cancer council over here. But they said, you've got to take care of yourself first. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to take care of your daughter. But it's something we forget. But it is actually something that should be part of the workplace culture to take care of ourselves so that we can give our best to the people we're caring for. It ought to really be part of the domestic culture too. I think it like should be stamped on our foreheads. So, you know, in reverse, so that when we go and look in the mirror in the morning, it's like, oh, right. Yeah. Take care of me first. (laughs) So give me a bit of background about yourself and then tell me how you ended up where you are now. (laughs) Well, it's a long journey, (laughs) long and confusing. I like to joke that I have one of those CVs that you look at and you say, wow, this woman is completely unemployable. What has she been doing with her life? (laughs) Or they, you know, you could look at it and say, oh, wow, she could do anything. (laughs) I, of course, I, of course, tend to look at it the second way. But I started out as a a foreign language teacher, of all things, and taught Mandarin Chinese and a little bit of Russian. And then when I met my husband, we decided, well, he was the academic, he was ahead of me in his career. And so he was going to stay in that area, and I was going to do something else. And so I dropped out of academia and went back to waitressing, which is something I'd done to earn money before, before school, and really started to become quite the foodie, just really interested in food and really good food. And then realized like, oh, you know, maybe I don't want to be serving it. Maybe I want to be making it, but I definitely don't want to make it in a restaurant kitchen because yikes, those places are scary, (laughs) especially for women. And so I became a caterer. I went to culinary school and became a caterer and a personal chef. And then uh, when we had kids realized, oh, those two careers don't 
don't mesh very well because your clients want you when your kids want you, like nights, weekends, and holidays. <laughs> so dropped out of catering, started doing office work, mostly in educational settings and also in a church in Chicago where we were at the time. And then when we finally made our most recent move to Michigan, I started working for a nonprofit and have just it just sort of fell in love with that area of work and it was in a wonderful nonprofit that was at the intersection of food systems, sustainable agriculture, and social justice, so healthy food access. And it really brought that social justice lens to my work that I think sort of put a bow on everything for me. And so I look back now, and when I, when I work with clients, it's very funny how often all of those past lives come up. Like, a lot of what I do with clients is learning them to speak, it's learning them, teaching them... <laughs> It's late my time, so <laughs> it may be early for you, but it's late my time. <laughs> and so, you know, teaching them to shift their language so that they can sort of rewire their brains to be, to think more positively and to sort of reframe their reality for themselves. So doing things like teaching people, you know, don't say should, say choose to. Don't say but, say and. And, and it really can change your perspective and your outlook on life and all these funny little language tricks that still come back. And, and I think, oh, there's the language teacher in me. It's still there <laughs> from 20 years ago. And I also spend a lot of time, you know, on my own business doing all the administrative things that I had to do as an administrator. The other thing is that I really just feel like something about the nonprofit sector and especially social justice has always held a real attraction for me. And when I realized that my most successful and really the most fun clients tend to be in nonprofit or at least mission-driven sort of caregiving professions. I thought, well, that's it. You know, when they tell you, you have to have a target market, when you market to everybody, you're not going to sell to anybody. So I thought, okay, well, I was working with women over 40 at one point, And then I thought, okay, we're going to narrow it down even more. And that's how I ended up with this really weird niche. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Personally, I think it's so, um, like I said earlier, it's like such a duh you know, <laughs> you know, it really is. Well, the funny part is that when I was getting certified as a health coach, I kept bringing this question up and saying, yes, but how do we, how do we make health coaching affordable and accessible to everybody? Because the people who need it the most, educators, social workers, healthcare workers, hospice care workers, non-profiteers, volunteers, these are not the people who have lots of cash fl floating around that they can be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to hire a health coach and get healthy. These are not the people who think that way. So it's been, it's been an interesting challenge. It's a very cool target market, a very interesting niche. And there's a piece of it that's very difficult, which is how do you, how do you subsidize this work? How do you fund the work so that they can actually afford it? So that's what I'm working on now. I have a, a program that I was lucky enough to get a small business restart grant from our state government. And I used it to incentivize women to be in the program. So they're not paying full price, but at least they got some money toward it. So it becomes a little more accessible. When you say social justice, expand on that side of things for me. Well, I think that the pandemic has just made it really, really obvious where our weaknesses are. I mean, we, we kind of knew all along that the education sector wasn't working very well and healthcare in America is kind of a mess. And 
labor has its issues. And I just feel like the pandemic made that so glaringly obvious. You cannot ignore the fact that our education system is a mess, you know, and trying to switch it over to virtual is like getting even messier. So the idea behind the social justice really is that there are so many people who cannot afford things like health coaching. It's just viewed as a really high-end offering when it really should be kind of a no-brainer. And because the work that I do is very much health care. It's like getting you to be healthy and staying that way, as opposed to disease care, which is very much the, the Western medical model in America, which is you get sick, you go to the doctor. But that same doctor does not have a lot to say about things you can do on a daily basis to stay healthy. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that side of medicine has always made me go, hmm, since I became aware of that discrepancy, it's like, okay, the doctor's really traditional Western medicine is really about fixing individual problems. It's not about holistic okay, let's prevent, how about we prevent this from happening in the first right. place? Yeah, and one thing that has become very clear to me is that there, there's a really, between the really traditional Western model and health coaching, there's this big divide. And I think a lot of, and it, it goes both ways. It's a two-way street. Like a lot of health coaches sort of go off the deep end with the alternative practices and, and modalities. And they just... They preach this idea that Western medicine has no place in somebody's health. And I always like to think about it as actually, you know, there's a, there's a place for everybody at the table. There really is. You know, if I break my leg, I'm not going to go to a massage therapist. That's where Western medicine excels. Therefore, there is a place for them at the table. But I think the fact that so many, so many people who are into alternative modalities are so dismissive of Western medicine has caused this rift And so, you know, there's suspicion on both sides. And I just like to think, wow, it's actually such a huge opportunity. And the beautiful thing is that there are more and more functional medicine practitioners and naturopaths who are realizing that, oh, yeah, we could work with health coaches. It's a collaboration. It's not a competition. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't need health coaches, if we actually understood our bodies and food and what we what we need to function at peak performance. And that was just part of our daily lives because that really is the ultimate goal of what you're doing, isn't it? Right, exactly. And it's interesting because your, your focus is very much on midlife and it's such a prime example of some of the opportunities that we have to do some education about this so that you don't have to go to the doctor. There's this sense that when you are going through puberty, that's normal. Nobody questions it. It's going to take a few years. Part of it might really suck, like, you know, but you'll be fine on the other end. And yet when we get to the other end, sort of like this bookend of our fertile years, the other side, it's like, you're broken. Your hormones aren't working. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. It's like, "Mm, actually they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do and you need to support them so that they don't make you uncomfortable while they're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's completely right. There is nothing wrong. You've actually hit the nail on the head. That's one of the basic messages that I want to get across because we do look on menopause as an ending and our life is over and it's all downhill from here. 
and it's not it's actually it's yeah just, it's a very it's western different. world perspective that you know once you hit 50 you're you're pretty much useless you know yes. we've yes. sort of in america especially we've really moved away from multi-generational families grandparents are somebody you visit once a year whereas i grew up in a very untraditional household my mother was not from america and my grandmother lived with us And so growing up, I had this extended family and there's a very different sense of what what our elders can bring to the conversation, can bring to the family dynamic that is missing in a lot of nuclear families in America, I think. And there is culturally speaking, you know, in the East, in in Japan, especially this this transition to, to menopause is viewed as it's kind of sacred. It's really something that's honored and respected and you now have all this wisdom and I always like to say it's it's time to own the crone you know you really just stop thinking about the crone as that old ugly hag and think of her as the original meaning of that word which is this incredible wise woman this sort of priestess figure who has all this wisdom and can share it with you and spare you all the difficulties that you're going through if you would just listen to her Mm, (laughs) kind of like being a parent right Tell me how you help women through that menopause period. What do you do? What do I do? Well, like I said, one of the very first things I try to do with them is to sort of a mindset shift. Can we look at this as, oh, my body is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. So what can I do to support it so I'm not having all these hideous symptoms? Because uh, I love the work of Christiane Northrup. I'm yeah, sure you've read right. her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's the one who says when you <laughs> menopause is not a Xanax deficiency. <laughs> but if you were to go <laughs> but if you were to go to a, a standard sort of conventional medical practitioner in America and say, I'm having hot flashes and I'm having some vaginal dryness and I'm not sleeping well at night, they'll be like, Oh, you just need some hormones. You know, <laughs> we'll just bump you up on hormones and you'll be fine. Or here's a Xanax if you're anxious. And Really, the way to look at it is is exactly what Northrop says, which is every month for your fertile years, your body has been like tapping you on the shoulder. Hello, are you taking care of me? Hello. You know what? This week, I really don't feel like working out very hard. I'd like to just curl up with a hot water bottle. (laughs) But what do we do? We push through. We go to work. We like do everything we're supposed to do. And our bodies are just in revolt and they're trying to get our attention all the time. And if we don't pay attention to them, perimenopause is like your body's Hail Mary. <laughs> it's like, okay, you haven't been listening. Here's a two by four to the head and, <laughs> and you're, now you're going to pay attention to me. So really what I try to do is to get women to think about what am I doing on a daily basis that can support my body in healing itself, in getting through this stage as graciously and gracefully as possible. And so for example, a lot of women say, oh, I'm having the worst hot flashes. And I'm sure you've seen this. If you if you lurk on Facebook pages that are meant to support women in perimenopause, whoo, what a cesspool those can be. <laughs> but people will say, oh my God, I'm having hot flashes. What can I do? And the advice starts. I took this herb, this supplement, this, you know, do this, do that. And actually nobody is saying, well, what's actually causing them? Because we just think, oh, it's hormones and they're shifting. Yes. And if you start paying attention, you can actually track your hot flashes and think about like, what did I eat? How did I sleep? 
was I exercising before this happened? Because I guarantee you, if you do that, you'll be like, oh, every time I eat something sugary, I have a hot flash. Every time I have a drink, I have a hot flash. And so then the beauty of that becomes sometimes you still, you still want that glass of wine, but at least you have some agency over it. If you know that alcohol causes a hot flash in you, and it's different for everybody, but I'm just naming the really most common ones are alcohol, caffeine, sugar, and stress. So those four, let's just work with those. So if you know that wine is going to give you a hot flash, then you can decide, well, is it worth it? Because sometimes it is. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I'll have that glass of wine and I'll suffer the consequences. But that's what it's all about really is sort of reclaiming that agency over your body and over your health and over your choices. Because very often we feel very disempowered about what's going on with me and tell me what to do. I'll do anything if you could just make this go away instead of really tuning into it. Yeah, it's kind of like we come from the space of there's something wrong and it needs fixing. And because that exactly what you said happened to me, I went to the doctor and I'm like, what is going on with me? And she said, oh, you're probably perimenopausal. Here's some antidepressants. Here are some sleeping tablets. You'll be fine in about four years. I'm like, well, that's helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Because I (laughs) I didn't know what to expect, but it also left me feeling that it was out of my control. Which is not a good thing because when we hit perimenopause, our whole lives are changing anyway. The way we think is changing, but physically our lives are changing. You know, the kids, it's about the time when the kids are leaving home. If we've got kids, our brains start to think in a different way and we start reassessing everything. If we know that's going to happen, then we can, unlike even with the glass of wine, if we know that a glass of wine causes a hot flush, it's just it's less significant. It takes all the drama and the stress out of yes, out yeah. of experiencing the hot flush or the sleepless night or the skin rashes or the whatever else you get. Yeah. I'm just naming <laughs> the ones I did. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> all of them. All of them. Well, you know, the, the insomnia is another really big issue at this age. And what I what I often ask women who are suffering from insomnia is, How many times during the day preceding that did you say to yourself, I didn't have enough time. I wish I had time to, I need two more hours in the day. If I only had more time. And I like to say, you know what? The universe is delivering. You're putting that out there. You're saying I need more time. And what are you getting? You're getting more time in the middle of the night when nobody else is awake. So you could do all those things that you were going to do, right? (laughs) I mean, it's not a really comforting thought. It doesn't really help with the insomnia. However, it really makes them think about like, how am I living my day in a way that's, that's causing me not to sleep at night? Because again, alcohol, our livers, they lose something like, I don't even want to give the statistic because I'll give it wrong, but it loses a certain percentage of effectiveness every year after 40 after age 40. Well, guess what? That's when we start feeling like, hey, I used to be able to have half a bottle of wine, no problem with dinner. And now I have one glass and I can't sleep at night and my head hurts the next morning. Well, that's your liver talking, right? That is your body going, "Mm -mm -mm, doesn't work anymore. (laughs) And I think part of it is that we, we have this image that we are going to be thrown on the trash pile once we're over 50 and have gray hair and and look old. So we try to stay young as long as possible. And 
it really becomes this situation where you know very well that you're not supposed to compare yourself to other people. But when you tell me, I used to be able to run five miles without even breathing hard. I used to be able to lift this much weight. I used to be able to work this many hours. That's exactly what you're doing is you're comparing yourself to you 20 years ago, you 30 years ago. You're a different person now. It's time to sort of reframe and rethink, you know, what does it mean to be active? It may not mean running marathons anymore. It may mean taking a walk around the block three times a day. And that's okay. (laughs) That acceptance. And it's something that comes from, I've had a couple of coaches, life business coaches, who've Mm -hmm. been 20 years younger than me with no children, or some of them have had children, but, and they're like, oh no, you can keep going. I'm like, you don't get it. (laughs) You don't understand. And I tried, you know, and then I went, what am I doing? That's not how I want to live my life anymore. I don't want to be working for 18 hours a day. I don't want to push, push, push and produce this and do that and run here. and I don't want to do, I'm over it. I did it for 20 odd years with the kids and I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just like, (laughs) no, going to go my pace. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And that's what I really try to get women to focus on is number one, is it right for me? And number two, is it right for me right now? Because it's going to change whether we're talking about exercise or we're talking about food choices or we're talking about a spiritual practice, like all of that is going to change over time. And that's okay. And I think one of the words that that you picked up on right away was like this idea that we have to fix something, something's wrong. And what I bring this from the world of nonprofit. Like I, like I said, I keep bringing my old lives into my current coaching practice, but I had a wonderful boss who taught me how to write a really kick-ass grant proposal. And he said, don't ever talk about the problem. It's never a problem. It's an opportunity. Because the minute you say it's a problem, there has to be a solution. But if you look at it as an opportunity, you have all these different paths that you can explore. There could be 10 different ways to make this work. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of brilliant. <laughs> that is great. And especially if you look on menopause in that way, like for me, yes. I couldn't wait for my periods to stop. I'm just Oh, yeah. same here. I was just like, oh, yes, please. I'm done. Oh. Shut the factory down. <laughs> yeah, yep, please. Right now would be great. Don't want to go to the supermarket and buy stuff anymore. I'm over it. <laughs> I know. So wonderful. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I just... I, so many women are like, oh, dreading it. And I'm just like, are you kidding? It's great on this side of 50. <laughs> oh, I couldn't wait. And, you know, people talk about all the downsides of menopause. That's the other thing. That focus on, well, you put on weight more easily, your bone loss, the yeah. impact that it has on the way you think and everything. I'm thinking, well, I'm not as foggy as I used to be. I'm yeah. much more direct and I, I don't suffer fools gladly yes. and I never have and it's even worse now yeah um, <laughs> maybe it's better now maybe it's better not worse it, yeah you're you know, quite and, right yeah and that's funny because that's another thing that I I really have been thinking about a lot which is you know these Facebook groups that that purport to support us through this stage of life where it's nothing but just like toxic negativity all day long I actually did a little experiment <laughs> I was a terrible person I was in other people's groups and I'm like I'm going to ask a devil's advocate kind of question and be like, hey, what do you love about this stage of life? That's a, yeah. yeah. Can I tell you, within three responses, it turned negative. 
Like maybe one or two people would be like, hey, you know, it's not so bad. Oh, you know, it's not great, but it's okay. And by the third one, they're like, there's nothing good about this stage of life. This sucks. I never want to. It's like, really? (laughs) But I, I think even the even the way we phrase things can really change because for example one of the answers that i get when i ask that question is what's the best thing about this stage of life a lot of women say i just don't give a shit what people think anymore and it's mm-hmm. like i'm not sure that's really what you mean i think you just choose not to take their advice or you choose not it's not like you don't care it's no, more I- that you have your own inner core that you've gotten in touch with over this time. And you're like, yeah, that works for you. doesn't work for me. Thanks. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I had an experience a few days ago where exactly that I'd done something and this person was trying to tell me that what I'd done and the way I'd behaved was wrong. And I was left feeling like I'd felt it was a really familiar feeling from when I was going through perimenopause a few years ago, just like, because it is like being a teenager, you know, an older version of a teenager, because you know, hang on, where do I fit in the world? What is going, who am I? You really, I really had to reassess who am I, you know, and really take stock of it. And, And this person with the best of intentions made me feel in that space again and then I sat down and I I got a couple quite a lot of coaching but then I went no hang on that is who I am and that is when I'm most in flow and people might not like it and I might leave debris everywhere my husband said I don't burn my bridges I tend to blow them to smithereens (laughs) (laughs) that's if you get to that stage then you haven't listened. It takes a lot to get me to that stage. But also, if you're trying your best and you're still not listening and you're out of integrity, then I will call you on it. In no uncertain terms, I'll call you on it. And if you carry on pushing the boat out like that, you'll really get called on it. And that's when bridges are blown up and stuff. (laughs) Blown up. (laughs) Not burned, blown up. (laughs) My husband said, said, I'm a civil engineer, Karen. I like to build things. You're coming along behind me going, kaboom, kaboom. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I love what you brought up, though, about how it's it's really like going through puberty again in some ways. And I I was talking to a friend of mine about that the other day and we were saying so many people make it here's puberty and here's perimenopause and they're the bookends right and she said yeah and I've been spending a lot of time with toddlers she goes I think toddlers and postmenopause are really similar and I was thinking what and she goes no think about it toddlers are self-differentiating. They are individuating from their parents, right? Two is when they start saying no, (laughs) like no. (laughs) And I just thought that is brilliant. So you get to the other side and you really, that is what you're doing. It's like, it's like someone else said, said it just beautifully. Perimenopause is the stage where you give birth to yourself. Oh, this is uh, Tanya Elfersi from from Israel. And she was saying perimenopause is when you're giving birth to yourself. And it really is that opportunity to figure out, again, it's not a problem, right? It's an opportunity to figure out what you're doing and Mm -hmm. who you are and what you want going forward. And she said, it's a really interesting way of looking at, we're moving from we to me. 
like you start out as a, 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 like we, the family, you know, and then eventually you become an adult and you separate from the family and then you go and you start your own and you're always kind of in this we mode. And then you get to perimenopause. All of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, is it really my turn now? <laughs> yeah. And that in itself is really confronting because we've spent our entire lives creating a we and then we yes. go, oh, who am I? Oh, you yes. mean I can actually create my own future with no real thoughts of anybody else? You know, I've still got responsibilities and things. I've got relationships yeah. that I want to take care of, but I can actually create them in a way that I want them to be. And yes. that's quite shocking. And it, just the responsibility of having that choice is like, whoa, hang on, do I yeah. want to do that? <laughs> yeah. No, it really is. And it's so interesting because my husband and I sort of both reached that stage this year and and are really thinking about like, what is it going to look like going forward? You know, he he now lives and works in Hong Kong and I'm in America. And it's it's like some people look at it and they're just like, what, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> my, my sister-in-law calls it my international commuter marriage, <laughs> but, but it, it's very interesting how just that arrangement has actually given me this sort of emotional energetic space that I didn't realize I was missing in a lot of ways. You know, it's frustrating. You're constantly thinking about other people and, and then all of a sudden, when when even just one person moves out of the house, it's like, oh, that's one less person that I have to think about and schedule. And, you know, like I still do a lot of the logistics. Like when he came to visit in October, it was like, OK, got to deal with, you know, getting COVID testing and getting the plane tickets changed and whatever. But at the same time, it was so funny, too, because he came home and I walked out. A couple of days after he got home, I walked out into the, the house in the morning from the bedroom and I'm like, when did these shoes multiply? <laughs> there were four of us. It's the change of season. So everyone had at least three pairs of shoes in the hallway. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, that's too many shoes. <laughs> but yeah. just, yeah, you know, physical space is one thing, but also that energetic emotional space that opens up at this age is just incredible. And it's like, wow, I could really do my own thing. Finally, it really is my turn. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, but it is something that I I personally really struggled with. I simply didn't know how to create. It took me years because I just couldn't get my head around the fact that this was my time now. It did yeah. take me years. And that is something that I do want women to be aware of, that that's one of the joys yeah. of hitting menopause is you can go, okay, it's like, you know, you've got this big whiteboard that's got all your life scrawled on it. And then menopause starts wiping, perimenopause starts wiping it all off. And I you love can that. choose what goes on there. Yes. I love that whiteboard image <laughs> because up until now it's been not just your calendar, but your husband's oh. partner's calendar and your kid's calendars. And, and as these people like become more or less independent, <laughs> you can just say, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is how I'm going to spend my time. And it's, it's so, so energizing. It's incredible. And just having that choice. Do I want to do this? Because Again, that was an adjustment that took me years. Do, do I want to do this? Oh, you mean I don't have to do this? Wait, you mean I have a choice? <laughs> no, I better do it. I just need to do it because I need the comfort of knowing that I've got to do something. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> on the same page right there. <laughs> and I, I and and it's I suppose getting back to what you do with regards to health, like the number I was talking to a friend of mine and she runs a program called Eat Like a French Woman. She's in France and she talks about how you know important it is in France one of the ways they keep help keep their weight down and help keep themselves healthy is they sit down for every meal and they set the table beautifully and it's done as a little ceremony and Asians tend to do the same thing and I'm like what you don't stand at the kitchen bench and eat the kids leftovers you know my favorite expression for that is eating al desco that's what we do in America you should you should share that with your friend. I'm sure she'd appreciate that. Eating all desco. She was so funny when I told her. I, you know, quite often eat standing up at the kitchen bench. She's like, "Oh, Karen, you should not do that." <laughs> I, I read a wonderful book called um, "French Women Don't Get Fat." Yes, it sounds it's a, very yes. much like what she's talking about. Yeah, and it's so funny because my my program for women is actually also called Eat. <laughs> there you go it brings back my culinary roots because I just you know it's all about the food for me in some ways but I I was talking to somebody and we were sort of brainstorming about you know what is this sort of process that I take women through and I said well you know I really start by I really try to get them in touch with their inner voice like let's go back to your inner wisdom because we're very out of touch with that in general and as women I think even more so and I have so many women say to me, oh, I'm not intuitive at all. I was like, oh, wait, it's 100 degrees and really humid in Michigan in the summer. And I offer you hot soup for lunch. Do you lean in or do you go, oh, hell no. That's your intuition. Like that right there is your intuition. And you're just not listening. You're just not paying attention. And it happens all the time. And I say, like, you know, if you're one of these moms who lives at school and God bless them. They do all the volunteering. They do everything that needs to be done. And, you know, if you're one of these moms and someone comes up to you and says, great, thank you so much for all you're done. Can I ask you to like chair the prom committee? (laughs) You know, are you going, oh yeah, I'd love to do that. That's what I've been working towards. Or do you just go, oh, that's not me. But how many times do we say yes when when it's really a no, right? Especially as mothers. But that, so, you know, that was the first stage I said. So I try to get women back in touch with their inner wisdom and start listening to that. And the next thing is figuring out, like, if your inner wisdom is telling you this, what is the aligned choice? Like, how do you get in alignment with that so that you can say no gracefully? And the final thing is when you keep making these little choices day after day after day, they change their lives. It's just sort of layering up these micro habits and so the guy I was talking to is just brilliant, <laughs> a businessman. He's like, yeah, so it's like, like engage and then you align and then you transform. And I'm like, brilliant, eat. That's the acronym right there. <laughs> you know? ah. So, you know, it, it's just, it's funny because it goes back to my coaching, my, my cooking world as well, but it's, it's more about the coaching. That's sort of the process that this group that I, I take the group through, which is let's get in touch with your inner wisdom. Let's figure out where you want to go and figure out what are the little tiny daily choices that you need to make to get there. Don't think about, you know, I want to lose 60 pounds. Think about I'm going to lose one pound. What would it look like if it were easy, right? That's the alignment part. And then if you just keep doing that and stacking these little habits up, you're going to transform things. One of the big things that I think, particularly as mothers, 
it, we find it, we get out of the habit or not as out of, we are unable to say no easily. We become real yes people. So even when it's completely not what we want to do, we'll go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. And that takes us so far away. And I think mm-hmm. maybe that's one of the reasons why this lady said she's got no intuition because we forget how to say no, how to yeah. somebody says, will you do, or something mm-hmm. comes up and we forget to go, okay, is that really what, yeah. what is the right thing for me to do? Is that going to be the right thing for me to do? And just learning how to do that for yourself again is yeah. like going back to what we were saying a few minutes ago, being a toddler. You yes. know, where are the boundaries? Oh my goodness, how do I fit in here? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I really I like to say, you know, when you say yes, it needs to be like a really sacred, like full body yes. And when you say no, it's like, oh hell no. You, your body is just going, nope, nope, nope. And you say yes. <laughs> I yeah. found this wonderful, wonderful image uh, on a stock stock photo website of the word yes, but it's made up of all these little tiny no's. And then there's a word no, like the letters N and O are made up of all these little tiny yeses. And I just thought, yep, that's it right there. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly. Yeah. And that's how we live our lives, you know. Uh, be, and and it, a lot of it is to do with this desire to conform because we have to be seen as being a good mother or seen as being a good wife or seen as being a good employee, whatever it is. I'm just trying to go through them and not thinking very clearly. But we do. And then when we start to take stock of where we are in life and go, well, mm, it's kind of doesn't feel right. You know, like the other day I was left feeling like I had to be, I'm not a nice person. I'm like, oh, people think I'm not a nice person. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And that's just it. That's really, I think that's sort of the, the major thing that happens to us when we go through perimenopause is really realizing you really don't have to worry so much about what other people think. (laughs) You really don't. And it's funny because it's something that, you know, you try to teach your teenagers too, as, as they're growing up, you, you know, they're so, so in their heads about what everybody is thinking about them. And I'm like, so if you're this in your head, don't you think so-and-so is also in their head? Like, do you think they're thinking about you? They're too busy thinking about themselves. <laughs> but we lose track of that, even, we as, do lose, even as adults. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we think that what's in our head is the truth. And yes, it's just an opinion. <laughs> yes, yes. What are you layering on top of what the truth is? The best exercise I've ever heard about for that is if you were to take a video camera and put it on mute, and tape an interaction with somebody, what's really happening? Because everything else is just what you layered on top of it, right? <laughs> it's just, you never, you never get down to that core unless you really think about it. Because the minute you think, oh, this is what they mean by this, eh, you've already gone beyond what actually just happened. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about time to wrap it up, Lisa. Is there anything oh, else? We could go on for hours. I know. It's, <laughs> this is the problem. I really have to keep my eye on the clock because otherwise <laughs> I'll chat for a couple of hours. I'm like, oh, I know, same, same. This is something you want to talk about? Well, the EAT program, the EAT program is happening. The second cohort starts in March of 2021. So it's really, it's for women who are feeling burned out in 
what I call mission-driven work. So it's not just nonprofits, but it's things like education, healthcare, nursing, elder care, things like that. So it's a group program and starts in March. It runs for 12 weeks, 13 weeks, really. And uh, yeah, I would love to have people sign up if they're interested. And the best part is there are scholarships available. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate you. it. We've, I've had the best conversation. It's so cool. Let's do it again. Let's do it on my podcast. It's going to be lovely. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen. You are welcome. Thanks for that, Lisa. Head on over to the website for more information about this episode and more information about my guests. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll love you forever. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.